Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. We are almost out of Mercury in retrograde, which I think is going to be very good. This has been a weird Mercury in retrograde. I guess they're always weird, but this one is ending on the 3rd of June, in case you forgot. We also just had a new moon on the 30th in Gemini. So we got an air sign up in here, and it just happens to be ruled by Mercury, which is kind of interesting. I think those two things colliding at once could probably make this time for you a little bit more foggy than it has been. For me, this whole time has been foggy since this Mercury retrograde period started. But right now in this Gemini new moon moment, right before the end of Mercury in retrograde, you might be feeling extra foggy and weird. There's also a shit ton of stuff going on in the world. Dang, da dang, dang, dang. Like, holy shit. <laughs> just, I'm not going to get really into it this episode because I just can't. I can't. I'm going to try to stay on the woo Although I want to talk about all of the political things that are going on in the world. I just, I'm not going to do it this time. Just please take care of yourself. Try not to doom scroll. Go to the bathroom when you need to go to the bathroom. Drink water when you need to drink water. Basics. Just the basics. And if you're feeling really, really ungrounded, go outside. Take your shoes off. Put your feet on the earth. Basics. Just the basics. Find joy wherever you can. Anyway... New moons are always good for recharging, rebirths, coming up with a new plan for your life, especially if it's on the way out of this retrograde. I always say break out your vision boards and your to-do lists and clean up your house a little bit. Get organized, you know, because now we're moving into another cycle of this year. And hopefully this cycle will be better for you than the last one. I'm always hoping that. And Gemini is a mutable sign, which means that it comes at the end of a season. Gemini specifically comes at the end of spring, Virgo at the end of summer, Sagittarius at the end of fall, Pisces at the end of winter. And usually these mutable signs are a little bit more adaptable and better with change than the other signs, which are the cardinal signs and the fixed signs. So that said, move with this adaptability right now. Use it to your advantage. If there's something that you're feeling a little stuck on, maybe be open to the idea of trying something new or trying a different route. And that might be in your personal life or your professional life where you've just been trying the same thing over and over and over again, but it's not working out. This is the time of that fresh new thinking, you know, like think outside of the box and do that thing that makes you a little bit more uncomfortable. It could open doors that are unexpected for you. I don't know. Do whatever the fuck you want, really. This is just based on astrology and what my little brain has done as far as processing. Okay, let's talk about my guest this week. 
His name is John Goff, and he was born with Tourette's, and he's high-functioning autistic. He's also a survivor of physical, sexual, emotional, and spiritual abuse. He has gone through so much, and he found his path to healing through the world of martial arts and mysticism at a very young age. Even after John's intense abuse, he still would face the darkest days, enduring more physical abuse, being ridiculed, bullied, humiliated, and spiritually torn apart as he started to become open to what was to come And this ranges from his first experience with energy, what some call chi, communication with otherworldly beings, walking the path of sacred orders, paganism, and more. We talk about all kinds of stuff. So this is going to be a two-part episode. So in this part, we talk about how he got into the woo, his physical and sexual abuse, and how that actually launched him into the mystical life that he lives now. We talk about what it's like to have Tourette's and autism and how John's brain allowed him to process all of this information so quickly. I mean, he's a young dude. He's 36 years old and he has done decades of Qigong work, decades of Reiki work. He's done ayahuasca over 400 times. He's done shrooms over 500 times. He has done an astronomical amount of energy work in his short lifetime. And not only that, but he was also a Freemason or he still is a Freemason. He practices witchcraft and is a high priest in his order and, 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 and. Like, how can any one person process all of this woo? And I feel like I'm the person to ask that question because I process a butt ton of woo every single day. We go a little bit into his background, martial arts, Freemasonry. Then we get into like hereditary blood magic, past life memories, plant medicine, talk about vampires for a second, and his crazy experiences with non-human entities. I mean, it's a lot. And this is just part one. Stay tuned. Next week, you'll get the second part where we talk about all kinds of other woo stuff. We kick that one off by getting into the witchcraft. Let's get into the woo with John Goff. There's so much that I want to go through that I feel like we kind of got to dive right into it. I want to start with your background, how you got into the woo. And I know you explained on the pre-call that it was like you were almost forced into it because of what happened to you. Yes. Can you elaborate on that? (laughs) What happened? I was born into a household of drugs and prostitution. Literally, my biological mother was pimped out. Um, She worked the, the streets and if she didn't make enough money, her pimps would take out the physical sexual abuse out on me and my siblings. So there was these moments in time when I had no clue what was going on. I just remember, as, even as a child, um, not having exposure, at least what I constantly remember, to anything would have been extraterrestrial or paranormal. And then me being taken out of my body, which later on people would say, oh, you're disassociating. No, I was literally, I would be taken out of my body. And I'd be protected by these beings. I, I can't really explain other than these beings, sometimes different shapes, different colors. You know, sometimes I could do a full description if they were hu- humanoid looking or not humanoid looking. And they would tell me 
we're going to keep your spirit safe. I, you know, you're a very special spirit. Well, we can't protect your body. We can protect you. I didn't know what was going on. I was more frightened by these things taking me out of my body. Like they literally have this glowing energy coming out of their hands. And later on, I would know it's the third eye, this beam of, of light coming out of their eyes and just surrounding my being. And sometimes I'd be like, no, no, no. Like I, I want to go back there. And they're like, no, you don't want to go back there. So they were trying to protect me from the suffering. As I was getting older, I was told that it, it was delusional, that it was, you know, protective PTSD, it was psychosis. But, you know, later on in my life, I, I learned that it wasn't. So that was my first exposure to um, something way beyond ourselves. It was during high levels of physical and sexual abuse. How old were you when the entities, well, let's just call them entities right now, came to, to visit you to, to help? The youngest I remember, I was about four years old. Wow. And was there a time when those entities stopped coming? I mean, are they necessary now? Do you still have a relationship with them? I wouldn't say I have a relationship with those in particular. It was like there were stages of progression I had to go through. First, I had to understand them. They went on until I was about 17 years old, and then they completely stopped a little backtracking. I was adopted by my grandparents. And while the sexual abuse had stopped as a child, you know, when I was around eight, nine years old, the physical abuse continued with my grandparents. They didn't understand at all the psychology of what me and my siblings had gone through. You know, the other physical abuse, the torture, the high levels of sexual abuse. So their ways of handling things. Like in their background, as if they were raising kids again, because all the kids are already grown up, was to literally beat the shit out of us. So the physical abuse continued. Yeah, I know we're probably going to dive into this. I had already started martial arts in foster care, which is really, really weird. It's like that mask and cover up, put kids in foster care and cover up the abuse because you think, oh, they're doing martial arts. They're not being physically or sexually abused. And then my grandparents re-enlisted me back in martial arts again, but they were still kicking the crap out of us. Yeah. So it would happen again and again, if, you know, and they, they would come to me. And this is also while being indoctrinated into the Mormon church. Oh, so I, so, I, so I'd, I'd have so many conflicting experiences and, and then I'd ask these beings and then I'd go everywhere from trying to use the priesthood and casting them out and they'd be there still. But I look, we're not evil. And then I'm like, there's nothing for you to cast away. We're here to help you. And that at times also made it worse for me because it was still conflicting to everything that I was being, what I would say, brainwashed with. Things weren't in the name of Jesus. If things weren't done in the Melchizedek priesthood, if things weren't done by an authority or who authorized you to do healing work, who authorized you to have these revelations or these visions. So it, it was a spiritual roller coaster for me. But the day I told my grandfather, you're never going to hit me again. That's the day that those entities stopped. It, it was just done. I literally had the whisper, you know, it's time for your next stage. You no longer need us. Others are waiting for you. Wow. So you were 17 when they, when you yes. told your grandfather, you're no longer going to hit me and they, they peaced out. Yeah. There's so much here. So before we like move on to the next stage, that's an incredibly intense tumultuous childhood. There's so much pain and there's so much suffering in there. 
How do you deal with that now? I imagine that when you were in it, you were like, fuck this, like, fuck this shit. Do you still, still feel like that? Have you done healing from that? I mean, I, I, I have done a lot of, a lot of healing from that. I had to recognize myself, even in fear. And, and this goes back to, it doesn't take away the abuse or excuse what they did at any moment. It was my own fear, my own fear. And this goes for anybody who's in abusive situations, the fear of where am I going to go? If I call the cops, mm-hmm. I've already, and I already had fear of the foster care system and foster care. I was put through child porn and foster care. I was horrifically abused and sexually abused. So what's going to be any different now? So do I suffer the, the physical abuse and the spiritual pain and the emotional trauma I'm going through now and deal with it until I can escape or do I risk going back into a place that might be just as bad or worse than what I'm coming from? And what did you do, you know, at 17? Did, did you leave home at some point? When you did, how was that embarking out in a new world? You know, I mean, that, that's a whole new adventure. I'm still a teenager. You know, I, I got out of the house before I was 18 and um, I, I'm still in complete pain. I don't know what it's like to be a man. I don't understand the concepts, of what manlyhood is. Because Everything I was based upon being a man was conflicting with martial arts, was conflicted with mysticism, was conflicted with my grandfather, who legally was my father because of the adoption. Is this what love is? Is this what being a man is? Because if it is, I don't want to be it. So I was literally, I threw myself out of the world, not knowing how to work. I got out of high school early. I'm graduated and I didn't have any tools. You know, I was filled with rage. It's like rage and hatred was my tool. And that can only take you so far. So yes, you know, I'm still training. I'm doing the martial arts. And it took me some, some time to go through, instead of using the martial arts as a form of, uh, you know, wanting to hurt somebody. And yes, it was self-defense. I had to find the healing of the martial arts. And that's where a lot of people miss that part of the martial arts is every move, every step, every breath. It has nothing to do with hurting somebody. It has to do with preservation. So once I started seeing what it does to the muscles, what it does, you know, for your cardio, what it's doing for my mind when I'm doing these motions or these forms or what people call young zakatas, and they want to free flowing, what's happening in the flow? And then I felt my hands getting tingly. And then I, you know, I started getting sensations, what I would now call my seventh, you know, chakra, my crown chakra being activated. And then I started seeing colors around me. And then, you know, as I was moving in the martial arts deeper in the healing aspect, then back to these entities or these beings, which sometimes I would associate with what modern people might call ascended masters, started appearing to me and guiding me into the movements, helping me perfect things that my teacher couldn't necessarily show me what to do. And then I started finding healing in that. And I'm like, wow, nobody hurt me again unless I let them hurt me. And that one alone was healing because then it wasn't an aggression. If I do this, raw, and I throw my hand up, as much power is behind it, what happens if I can block it in peace? What happens if I say nothing's happening and I just shift my energy into whatever's coming at me as far as a negative or an attack or an, a, an emotional attack, things that we deal with in everyday life with people, it is very protecting. And if I can protect myself, there's nothing to fear. And the more the fear left, that's when the real healing began. 
because I wasn't in a place of, oh my God, I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to be harmed because now I knew I was being protected. And then I was very aware, even though I was still on and off with the church because it's religion is just hard to get away from. That's just the truth. Yes, it is. (laughs) But I was still in a position that I was understanding more. And that alone, even though I wasn't healed from the religious trauma yet, I started asking questions. I wouldn't tell people about my experiences when I was doing my forms or meditations and when I was seeing these things and have these beings come to me. But I started asking the questions. And the more questions I asked, the madder people got. And the more mad my clergy or my bishops got, that that led me to start believing I was on the right path. And that started, you know, letting me see that I was being lied to. Either they didn't know or they didn't want me to know that there was something beyond their books. Yeah. That's a tale as old as time, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you're comfortable with answering this, I want to ask you about autism and Tourette's, because I know we we talked about that briefly in the in the pre-call. And I, I think it's important to your story because, well, I think the listeners will find out as this interview goes on, it may be connected to how how well you've been able to integrate so much information over over what's seemingly a really short period of time. Yeah. Okay. I was diagnosed with Tourette's when I was about nine years old. I played video games, old school Nintendo, and then I I, I was getting really stressed since a lot of the triggers were um, twitching, stuttering, or some form of vocalization. And just to be clear real quick, it is very rare for people with Tourette's to actually scream obscenities. So anything people seen on TV or the Discovery Channel, et cetera, like they found the worst cases. That is like the smallest percent. So most people with Tourette's like me, we stutter, we have facial twitches or neck twitches, or maybe shoulders or little body parts. There's um, sniffing, coughing. And that's just sometimes as much as the vocalization goes with most people with Tourette's. There's usually a connection uh, to OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, or there's an ADD, ADH component. So there's usually what we call a trilateral. So you have three to four things. And then a lot of people like me with Tourette's were also on the spectrum as far as autism goes. If it wasn't for the martial arts, I remember you know, not understanding why people were getting mad and why people didn't like me telling the truth. I have a hard time lying. And, and, and then that was part of my autistic side. I have a very hard time lying. I'd hear people, I can literally hear the heartbeat. And that's sort of, I think, where the threats and the autism and martial arts really came into play and uh, really be able to put me into a place of learning. I'd be watching people and I'm like, why do they keep, why? I notice it without any training. Why do their eyes keep on going over here? Why are they so focused here? Why the breath change? so many times why is the heartbeat changing and i literally go you're lying to me <laughs> you know so being able to see um some forms of, form of the truth through um a body mechanics and observation that was really something i learned in the martial arts and with what i'm already doing with the trek and autistic side my ability to learn was really really good but my ability to do math- mathematics just sucked <laughs> and everybody assumes Say, like, oh, if you're autistic, you do math. It's like, guys, it, this isn't the Rain Man. You know, it, it, not everything works like that. You know, you have uh, savants and prodigies in so many things, whether it's music, being martial arts, whether it's art. 
I got the very deep artistic and spiritual side of the autism. And people might go, well, what does that mean? I mean, as a kid, I was seeing things. And then it wasn't just, um, I don't want to use the wording. I was just spiritually awake. You know, maybe I was, but I do know the autism played a part of it, that my brain was wired in a way that I was receptive to see my veil or this mask in front of my eyes. It wasn't closed like it was for most children or even adults. And even children at a young age without any type of disorder are already very open to receive. Absolutely. Did you have any other psychic experiences when you were a kid besides the the community or the communicating with the entities? And I feel like even the, what you just explained, being able to pick up people's emotions and heartbeat, all of that is there is kind of a, a psychic spiritual element to that. But was there anything else? I'd literally be able to get to the front door after school or or when I was coming home, I feel ahead of time. If my grandfather, you know, slash dad was mad, if there's going to be an abuse issue, I would literally know that there was a dog across the street from us and, and he, he liked going behind the cars and then half the time, nobody would ever check. And I just knew this dog was, he was going to get ran over. And I remember feeling like, oh, there's blood somewhere. Where's the blood? And I went outside and the dog was underneath. I pulled the dog out, like right as my grandfather was pulling out, he's like, I didn't even see him. But I was seeing the vision of blood all over the driveway. So I ran outside looking for blood and the dog was underneath the truck, you know, and I pulled them out right before my grandfather pulled the truck out. So the premonitions were really, really big in my childhood and they've only increased as I've gotten older. Oh, really? It's usually the opposite, right? Like you said, like usually kids are super sensitive and creative and connected and then they get older and they forget all that shit. And that's why I contributed. If it wasn't for um, the freedom of uh, martial arts, and uh, I know you're probably going to ask me this a little bit, but doing this thing called Qigong, which is learning to move the energy with breath work and movement, and then keeping your chi clear and, and cultivating it, I really believe it was, if it was for the martial arts, the Qigong, learning how to meditate, that that's why instead of it decreasing, why it increased? Because I'm working with mind, body, spirit. I'm working with energy. So my field, my chakras, my meridians, whatever, all the terms you could use for the flow of the body of this energy, it was developing. It was getting stronger. Again, it was only making me question more because the deeper I went, I couldn't look in the world the same anymore. Every piece of me was changed. Everything I was looking at was different. All I wanted was the truth. And it, it sort of boiled down to, I had to find the truth. I couldn't trust the truth to be told to me anymore. It was, it was time for me to find it. You talked about the second stage where you leave home, you're still a teenager and you're doing martial arts and you start getting sort of these downloads, I guess I'll call them from ascended masters. You go through so many different experiences. So let's just kind of get into a little bit of, of what happens in this second stage, which I'm sure it's more than just the second stage. There's probably many stages within that stage, but I think you know what I mean. The second stage is getting married young. I, I know this is funny. Um, I, I believe I was married at 19, could have been 20. It was way too quick, but I put myself in a position, and this is, goes back to the continuation of healing. I married a woman who was who was duplicate. I mean, we'd already been together, you know, young dating for a couple of years in uh, middle school and high school. 
So we get married young. It was almost the same type of energy and um, influence as my, as my grandfather or grandmother. I allowed cheating. I, I, you know, I turned my head to being dismissed, to be ridiculed. I allowed this back to the big I, which I want a lot of listeners to hear. Nobody could necessarily force us to do anything. I did things out of fear. I allowed her to let me go back to the church. But I was pulled back into, well, maybe do it differently. What happens if you see it without the eyes of your grandparents? And, and this is a, a big line in the Mormon church. The gospel true. Don't judge the gospel by the people. Mm-hmm. Well, I was already judging the gospel. It had nothing to do with the people. So I ended up going back in. We ended up getting married in an LDS temple and going through all these ceremonies. And then I'm laughing because I'm a Freemason. I'd already heard the rumors of what Joseph Smith did and what he manipulated and took from Freemason ceremonies. And then I'm letting going through, you know, in the Freemason world, what we would call, you know, our sacred, our secret handshakes. And then a lot of the words, so some words were changed. And the temple workers looked at me and go, this is your first time to the temple. One of them even asked me very quietly when I was in the temple room, are you a Freemason? And I'm like, yes, I am. And he goes, well, now it's time. And this is the part that's going to be laugh. Well, now it's time that you get to learn the pure words is in my mind. You guys didn't understand brother Joseph, our great prophet. He <laughs> learned the true. He was shown the true way through God. Is he says, so everything that you thought you knew before, and I'm like, you really don't know anything. So now it's time to really embrace the Lord and learn the proper way to use these words. That's that's what my experience is as far as being a Freemason and the temple work in the LDS temple went. Have you ever seen the South Park episode about Mormonism? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. Anybody who's like, well, I don't know, maybe it's all right. I'm like, just watch this episode. It's fucking fucked. (laughs) Yeah. But let's talk about being a Freemason real quick. When did you become a Freemason and how did you do that? And I I do realize that you can't tell me everything, but yeah, the basics. um, There's a rule in, uh, in Freemasons. You cannot be, you cannot be invited. If you have an interest you have to inquire. We cannot invite anybody. So even if somebody is a great, I would consider a great candidate, I cannot walk up to them and go, hey, would you like to join you know, our order or fraternity? It doesn't work that way. So I ended up finding a lodge in Cedar City, or you know, we call it a lodge temple, like multiple ways to look at it, but just, just said lodge for the sake of saying it. I was interviewed. I was vetted. Next thing you know, it, I, I'm going through ceremony and I'm in. It wasn't hard to necessarily get in, but they definitely, you know, have protocols. They don't, they don't want anybody trying to join, anybody trying to expose things or go into conspiracy. And everything that I thought I knew about Freemasons from a lot of deep reading, I'd already read Natalie P. Hall's books. So I had a deep understanding from some great philosophers and mystics who were already Freemasons, what Freemasonry was about. But everything that I didn't understand, and even with that I did understand, it was completely changed when I went through my first ceremony. It was everything I thought it was, but it was also nothing that I thought it was. And it was probably the best decision I made in my life. Are you still a Freemason? I will say yes. You will always be a Freemason unless you purposely leave a lodge or have your name taken out. But um, due to other circumstances and things that I can't necessarily, necessarily say, I'm still a Freemason. 
but after um, some certain initiations and rights that were given to me, I'm also not a Freemason. I'm something a little bit more. It's only men, right? Is it, is it just men? It is only men, depending on on, on the structure or where you're at. There's also breakoff groups. There's the Order of the Eastern Star, which works side by side with the Masons. So they themselves are not Masons, but you know their order, just like the Freemasons, they work side by side together. Mm. And then there's some lodges, there's some uh, grand lodges in Europe which do permit women. It has never been anything about um, being sexist or discriminating. The biggest thing of what when they try to maintain the integrity of uh, the the mythology, the symbolism, the allegory of being a Freemason is that the original stone builders were all men. Mm. There wasn't women building the temples. Men are building the temples, but women were doing a lot of inner work also, doing different things. And that's where the Order of Eastern Star still holds a lot of power, is who are the powerfulest women of the Bible? Not necessarily speaking as it is truthful, but speaking as what were women's roles. And then the Order of Eastern Star really give to women their power, their security, and help them expand. Just like with Freemasons, it takes a good man to make a good man better. And mm-hmm. that's one of our models. It takes a good man to make a good man better. So if you're a good man, you want to be better. So we stuff with good men. In the lodge, there's no talking about religion. There's no talk about politics. It doesn't matter, you know, your race, your creed, what you believe, who you are. When we sit down, there's Catholics, there's Buddhists, there's blacks, there's whites, there's Chinese, there's Mexicans, every race, every person of any thought or any form we all sit together as men nothing else men who want to learn men who want to learn the mysteries men who want to understand themselves better and build a foundation so we can be better fathers we can be better brothers we can be better community members we can be better followers and we can also be better leaders and that is something that freemasonry gives to men hmm and there's a lot of mystery that surrounds Freemasonry. And my grandfather was a Freemason. And, there, you know, it's it's tough to to sort out all the, the details because I'll never be able to know because I'm a woman. So <laughs> it's an interesting world. And I, I wish that I could know more, but that's just not the nature of the beast. Is there anything, though, that you can share you know, there's a lot of stuff on TikTok right now about how Freemasons have all these like secret bases and that they're doing like all this, like a lot of conspiracy theories. What, what can you say about that? That's all it is. It's all conspiracy. It's a joke because it's like, okay, you're going to point at Freemasons. So why don't you go point at Skull and Bones and yell? Point at people want to say the Illuminati. And then why don't you point up at, um, at, at Bilderberg? Why don't you go point at the Trilateral Commission? There's so many groups and so many things, and everybody wants to find a scapegoat, somebody to blame. A lot of our founding fathers were Freemasons. You have, you have a painting of George Washington in his full regalia, in his Freemason stuff, set, setting the, the foundation of America as a Freemason. All right. Well, let's go back to, I I interrupted you because of the Freemason thing, but let's go back to where you were, where your wife is trying to pull you back into Mormonism. And you're like, what the fuck? This is bullshit. What happens next? What what levels of of woo do you get into after that? I'll definitely go back to premonitions 
uh, but especially more deeper visions, I was literally having dreams of her sleeping with people. And I'm like, okay, man, oh, it's just my paranoia. She used to tell me all the time, you're autistic, you have Tourette's and handicapped the most of the world. He's like, nobody else will ever love you the way I love you. I, a lot of gaslighting and heavy manipulation that uh, the only reason I got my master ranks and my black belts is, is that they're not real. All my instructors just feel sorry for me. So that was their, you know, trying to take away my ability as a martial artist and that all my healing work and like um, my daughter will not see me in the eternal life. We will not be a family forever if I don't stop my stuff because I'm meddling and I'm practicing the work of the devil and the great adversary is getting me. And I'm like, really? So you're telling me that Satan, this Lucifer, this figure, he gave me a vision of you cheating on me? What? And then I, and I'm like, yeah, you slept with so-and-so. And then that face, I mean, that was, that was another one of my woo moments to just let me know how real it was. Her face went white. She was silent. And then tears started coming up. I'm like, I don't want to hear it. And then I'm like, I'm like, no, you got caught. That's the only reason you're crying. Do you have a daughter? I have a daughter that I, I, I literally only saw um, again after almost six, seven years. We ended up getting divorced. It, there was more things that happened between that time period up to where I am now. I, I didn't get to see her again until about a year ago. My ex lived everything she could not to let me see her. How old is she now? She is now 14. The way a lot of things are set up, you know, and, and this is the part of the heart for me, the way I got legally sort of screwed on it is that my daughter has to want contact and the mom, you know, put it that way. But then now that there's problems, it looks like daddy's coming back in the picture again because I never left. I've always been here, but now I'm being asked to help because my daughter's not doing well. And I'm like, I've, I've never left. I've been at home how tired at the time. So if it's my time to be dad, let me be dad. So that relationship will start rekindling. I'm getting that relationship in the middle of, of my daughter in crisis. I mean, it should have never gotten this far in the first place. Yeah, that's really tough. You end up getting a divorce from your wife, who is, it sounds extremely toxic. And then what? I know that you end up doing a butt ton of woo stuff. I mean, you end up like, I don't even know where to begin really with you. Like, I know that you did ayahuasca a bunch and you did this, I think you called it Brazilian snuff. And yeah. then you, so you're definitely toying with plant medicine and then the Qigong and the Qigong and the Naigong. Naigong, yes. Naigong. And then you were obviously already a Freemason. Like, where the fuck do we begin? And, and then there's witchcraft. I mean, there's just yeah. so much. <laughs> I want to hear about as much of that shit as you're willing to share. So we can hit it beat by beat. I was told that there, that a person really wants to, you know, to embrace healing in a different way because you know there's so many aspects of healing. There's this medicinal drink that would take me through pains and trauma and um, it, whatever I was willing to release, you know, release. That there was this this person called Madre or this grandmother in this drink, and she would come to you and help you and assist you. And I'm like, well, like, what is this? It's called ayahuasca found in uh, Peru and Brazil, we have a place and uh, I, I won't name the location, but um, if you come out here to the state, signs the papers, 
you really get ready for the thing. So my first ayahuasca, I drink this drink. Uh, everybody has their pillows down and some people you call guardians and they have um, who protect the medicine. And then you have a person facilitating actually giving the medicine to you about 30 minutes in. And I'm like, oh, like nothing's happening. And then about 40 minutes in and then I'm starting to get tingly, like pricks, pins and needles and like waves of energy running through me as if I was doing Qigong or breath work. And then the lights get dimmed and then there's candles, there's some altars. And then everybody's doing a... Icaros, ancient songs that facilitate uh, the ayahuasca, some songs in Portuguese and Spanish, some songs in English. So the drums are going. And then the more the drums got going and the singing got louder. And then I started hearing, and I was like, I'm looking around and then I see this bucket in front of me and I realized I'm the one puking. (laughs) And then it's getting louder. And then the more I was purging, or what we call the medicine world now, getting well, not even a puke, you know, it's purge, you're getting clean. I was literally seeing in my puke as it was coming out. And then in my third eye vision, I was seeing the abuse leave me. Wow. I was literally feeling as if in my cells, in my actual spiritual energetic body, that something was coming inside of me and it was trying to pull and it was asking me. I can't pull it out if you don't let me. And I remembering just bawling. I mean, I'm just fucking crying my ass off and to go and just take it like, like I'm done with it. And, you know, and this medicine, this energy behind the medicine telling me, thank you. You know, I'm like, um, again, back to another woo moment in the middle of medicine, not just that happening and the hearing these old entities that have gone for so long. Mm. We told you we're ready for more. And the newer ones coming to me in the medicine is like, this is part of your journey. And then the medicine talking to me, telling me, are you ready, you know, to start, you know, your path and take it further. I still hadn't taken it and I thought I was taking it. So as I was purging out and then I went up my second cup and then I went up my third cup and the next day integration, we're all sitting together and uh, people are sharing their experiences what they let go, what they learned, um, anything they received. And I'm listening to all these people and I'm trying not to cast judgment. And I'm like, I was thinking everybody's going to have something like I had and they didn't. And then that made me go further back in myself. Wow. Like they have some cool shit happen. I'm not taking away because that was their experience. I get the medicine is a solo experience, but not one person had this happen. So why was this happening to me again? But now on medicine, afterwards, I was talking to some individuals and they asked me here that you've been exposed to Qigong and Reiki and that, you know, you're pretty good at what you do. Can we see your hands? So they want to see a little bit what I did. And I remember this woman looking at me and just crying. And she goes, do you know that you have hereditary blood magic? I'm like, what? And she goes, she's like, I've been around some of the best Reiki people in the world. Your energy, your Qigong, your Reiki, it is so far beyond anything I've ever felt. And it's, I know this lady, she's, she lived in Japan for a lot of time. She's around a lot of Reiki people. She was in China. She was in Africa. You know, she told me, so you carry ancient blood magic that goes from Egypt, you know, Egypt and beyond. Have you ever, do you remember any of your past lives? And then I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I didn't think I'd ever be talking about this. 
what do you see? And so she wrote down on the paper, 10 things. She put the paper in front of me. And remember, we've never met. So I told her about my lives in Egypt, what I remember Samaria, what I remember being off of this planet. And she flipped the paper over. It was almost word for word what I had said. Wow. You had already had these past life memories. Yes. When do you remember remembering your first past life? I was 19. Is this, you know, right, you know, around the time I got married, there was a Tibetan monks going through America for this thing called Free Tibet. I went to one of um, their meditation groups and they were having, and I was talking to a monk and, you know, and he's like, you know, have, have you really gone through the own meditation, what we believe to be the first time in the universe and just, just own. So he, I sat with him and some of the monks and some other people joined us and we're just doing it. So I don't remember if I was 30 minutes in or an hour in, but there came to a point every time I was, oh, I, I get this wave as if I was in a desert, but there was also water still, which I didn't know that Egypt had water at one point, but I see some dryness, but I see water, then oh, I see pyramids appear. Then I do the ohm again. And then I got to the place where one of the ohms, I was taken right out of my body. And I see myself walking towards a pyramid and the pyramid doors opening. But then I, I'm looking around like, like, who am I watching? And I looked at myself. I have gauntlets on. I have a robe on. I'm literally whatever that personage of me was. I, I have a hand up and I'm, you know, casting magic out of my hands and I was opening up pyramid doors and I'm going into a pyramid. And then when I remember opening my eyes, there's this monk in front of me just smiling. And he says a very like, broken Tibetan tongue I, I, with his accent, you remember. And he's just smiling at me and I shook my head. And then he turned around and walked away. He just got up and left. And I'm just sitting there alone, <laughs> like, like, what the hell? His and I, 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 and I got it. He saw something. He had no reason to introduce me to it. He wanted me to remember he saw something, but it wasn't his job to tell me. And this is sort of what I, my philosophy now, I don't wake people up. I help people wake themselves up. So even if I see something, even if I could do it, it's not going to be as significant, or maybe they will hold on to it if they don't do it themselves. So he saw something and he got me to do it. And from that point on, every ohm, every breath, when I would go into meditation, when I would really go into myself, I started seeing more of it and more of it. And then I got things with me being a, a druid and doing magic and druid work throughout ancient parts of Europe. And then I, I'd go back to Egypt again. So my body was constantly going back between Egypt and Europe, you know, that my, my just going back to different places. And I can't say exactly where in Europe it was, but really old foundations and multiple temples, multiple places. And that was really, really unique to me. So when this lady mentioned the past lives and holding on to my hands, and that's what actually got me to start looking in to, to magic, to look into all pagan roots. This is what Wicket is, but this is what it isn't. You know, since Wicket itself is still quite new, what's older? And then it led me 
to the Rosicrucians. Then it led me to the OTO to teach as Aleister Crowley. And then it took me other places. So it opened up so many avenues for me that I wanted to know, what is she talking about? Because at that, at that point, I wasn't really practicing too openly my healing work or what I was doing. I was very selective. So then I started meeting other practitioners, and this really correlates as uh, relevant to the woman. I work on them, and then they say the same thing. Wow. It's like, what is that? What modality do you do? We've never experienced anything like that in our lives. And I'm like, well, this is what I told what my Qigong healing of Reiki was. Oh, that is not Qigong, brother. That is not Reiki. There's something so much deeper to it. And maybe it was the way I was taught. You know, and it might be the way I was taught was also about transmutation. It was very deep. And I, and I know especially before, I worked on a lot of people before I was becoming the typical level three Reiki master until I was started getting, you know, higher teachings. I understood something deeper after a few people gave the same comment. That's magic. That's not just energy work. Is that the level three teaching in Reiki is called the Shippuden. The Shippuden means the mystery. And most people stop at level three. They don't embrace the mystery. They don't go into the mystery of what's next. So when I started looking into the, the founder of modern Reiki, Makao Sui, he was already a martial arts master. He was in the mystery schools. I, everything about the, what he, the way he taught was about transmutation and alchemy. And then the alchemy side also took me deeper into magic. What is alchemy? So our ability to change ourselves or help change other people or facilitate a physical or spiritual change, that was only a tip of the iceberg. How do we clear karma? I want to go back to ayahuasca though real quick because you you do yeah. that ayahuasca and you're like barfing your brains out as one does. And then you, this lady says ancient blood magic, which first of all, I want to know what that is. And second of all, then you take a butt ton more of ayahuasca. Oh yeah. So tell me about that real quick. And then we'll, and then we'll pivot back to next woo things. I felt so called to it. It, it was just like, no, it wasn't just a typical where somebody does it one or two times and all of a sudden you have people facilitating the medicine that should facilitate it. I was literally, I felt I was like, I, what is there here to learn? And I, I want to understand the magic and the mystery behind the medicine. I just didn't want to guarding the medicine and observing the medicine. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to feel it. That's why I started visiting as many people as I could. And even at a point where I even ordered some myself because I sat with it enough and I would take it myself. I wanted the experience. I wanted to know I had to make certain sacrifices, you know, and, and some of these sacrifices aren't bad. Doing a dieta, understanding what changes when you diet a certain way, when you cut certain meats out, when you cut certain sugars out, was there a difference? Sometimes there was, sometimes it wasn't. So then I changed my method again. Okay, now I'm going to go to uh, some of the Shipibo people. Now I'm going to go over here to this, this woman, this man. And then I started observing a lot of the dysfunction of the medicine too. There's times I went. And I had to leave. I mean, I'm literally on ayahuasca and I had to get, get up and somehow escape because it turned into a fucking orgy fest. It turned into other things. That's not what the medicine's about. Wow. How many times did you take it, ayahuasca? Up to date, about 405. 
405. Yeah. Good God. <laughs> That's insane. You would have to do that every day for, I mean, how often were you doing it? Every fucking day? There was a time was in my mind where I really took the time and like some people and, you know, whether it was a small amount to a larger amount, I went into it deep literally every day. And then sometimes I do a ceremony every weekend. I, I drive somewhere to some location with some group, with some people. And then we, you know, we weren't doing three, you know, just three cups one day. We might start on a Friday, three to four cups, Saturday, three to four cups, and then three to four cups. And, you know, so after a while, the cups start to build quite easily. Now, will you continue to take ayahuasca? My last ayahuasca was a few months ago. That was also after about a year and a half of, of no ayahuasca. So if there's a need for it or what I feel um, would be some assistance, I, I would totally do it again. As right now, there's no more psilocybin. I don't have any use for mushrooms anymore. It doesn't call to me. But ayahuasca has to be out of a, a deep call of necessity for me to, to use it. Otherwise, the only thing that I, I use, I'll, I'll never stop using. And what I do my main ceremonies with now is that Brazilian snuff called hape, the plant medicine tobacco snuff. So other than the hape, I don't have any call to any medicine. I, I've reached where I need to reach. And everything that I once achieved or that I experienced in ayahuasca or medicines, I do that naturally on my own with the energetic and magic work. I still can't get over how many times you took it. How many times have you taken shrooms? Oh shit. Easily 500 or more. I was really heavy into understanding the medicinal side too. So anything from, you know, let's see what two grams does. Okay. Let's see what three grams does, but I never went over six grams. And then I, I just thought that was just medically not safe. I did a lot of research with Terrence McKenna his take on mushrooms and DMT. And he's just like, yeah, like five grams is good. Anything beyond that is sort of stupid. So you're telling me you did ayahuasca 405 times. You did over 500 times you did shrooms. Is that correct? Oh, easily. Yeah. How do you even have this much time? <laughs> My work gives me a lot of open opportunity to experience, to be able to have, to have the freedom to do what I do. So, and then I, I, I hit this one point where I didn't do anything for almost a year. I traveled, I experienced, I was on and off in Asia for quite a while. A lot of these medicinal things I did, I actually did in Cambodia and I did a lot of Thailand. We could do an episode just on your experiences with plant medicine. Like that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So I can't move from this until I hear like, what is the most woo experience that you've had with plant medicine? I think this is when I did the six grand of shrooms. It was, it was actually a little more intense than ayahuasca because the, the, the medicines are different. They're different experiences. I was at a, at a riverbank and I had the bottom start opening up. I thought I was being ripped open. And this is part of the little bit of healing I still need to do. It was giving me a trauma experience. As I thought I was going to be taking down into hell, pits started opening up. I started having hands start reaching through. They were gooey, like oil and black. And there were screaming dead fucking babies just burning below and barking dogs. And I, I'm like, oh my God, like, I'm going to be I'm being ripped down to hell right now. I'm just fucked. And then I, I heard these voices again. 
breathe. Like, oh, what do you mean breathe? Like, devil's getting me. God's finally punishing me. They're like, breathe. Listen. As these hands are grabbing me and I'm being pulled down, I'm literally being pulled straight down. But I'm breathing. I feel my arms flapping. And I'm like, breathing. But then as I'm breathing and I'm remembering, wait a minute. This is all in my head. This is trauma. I, I was literally understanding what was happening. And then I opened my eyes as I'm breathing, my eyes are flapping. And then I'm above the earth. I'm no longer going down this pit. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? And then I was shown this is one creation of many creations. And then I saw all these layers as if I was looking into a mirror and had multiple lenses in the mirror. Here is what's happening here. Here's what happened at this time. And then I saw literally millions, all these beings, all these life forces, evil ones, dark ones that aren't so evil, but they're high level of malice, things that would be considered angelic, but they're not angels, different figures, different ships, what people might call UFOs. I had all these things around Earth. And every single one of them is trying to heal the earth, clear the earth, control the earth, experiments, putting entities in people, creating false people. Some people with spirits, some people not with spirits. And then I felt my body start to literally seize. It was so overwhelming to see I'm seeing all the aspects of every dimension, every parallel universe within our universe happening at that moment. And then when I woke out of it, I was literally shining, shining in the middle of this riverbed. And I had these birds around me. And then I had a fox walking past me across the riverbed. I'm like, but wait, wait a minute. That's real. And I looked around. Birds were around me. The fox is moving past me. I had snakes move past me. Whatever happened at that moment, all the animals that were there. What I felt were there to observe. They were there to protect me so that nothing would harm me when I was in that trance or experience. That was one of the most significant woo moments I ever had to awaken with a fox walking by me with snakes and uh, birds all around me, but nothing was there to harm. And I was literally glowing. I sat there for about 10 hours. I think it went to about two in the morning. I got out, out of the riverbed so I could be dry. And I was just trying to process because I could not comprehend everything that was shown to me. That's incredibly intense. This popped up in my mind while you were saying that after you have an experience that intense, how does it affect the way you think about current politics? You know, what's going on in the world today? For instance, like yesterday, we had a horrible school shooting again here in the U.S. And just a couple weeks ago, we had that other shooting and what's going on with the de de divisiveness in this country. When you have an experience like that, I imagine it stays with you forever. Obviously, you're, you're telling yeah. me about it today. <laughs> and it's profound. How does that make you look at this shit that's happening here? For me, it only clarifies everything that I was shown and makes it very, very crystal clear that humanity is being influenced, that people are letting their guards down, 
that it is in the food that we eat, that this energy is in the media, it is in the music, it is in the words, is that if we take, you know, the word spelling, what's the very first part of spelling? It is spell. Mm. So it shows that we are being, you know, we are being bound by influences, by entities, by people who work for these entities, that these energies are causing a massive shift in consciousness. And even if they want to stop consciousness rising, in some way, they're assisting it. And that's why this is necessary. I know people might hate, hate to hear me say that, but a lot of things are necessary for, for, for people to step forward who know what I know, who know more than what I know. It's like we have a responsibility to help humanity to wake up, you know, to share our knowledge, to give to people, because what's it going to take? Why does it take someone like 9-11 to bring people together? Why does it take a school shooting for somebody to look at their damn kid and cherish them? To look at your wife and go, or husband and go, oh my God, I love you. Why does it take that? And if that's what it takes, if people aren't going to want to be in peace and learn this or express this in a calmer way, if we are put in a position that high levels of trauma or pain has to be the igniter, as much as I feel and I don't want anybody being harmed, those things should be bring awareness to people. But instead, we get caught up into the smoke screen of why we should get rid of guns or why it happened. Okay, well, why did it happen? Yeah, I mean, this is a really delicate, complex topic. You have such a unique position on this subject because you've experienced sexual and physical abuse. Because of that and the way that you now look at it, your opinion on the matter, it almost has like a little bit more weight to it because how do you look at, you know, you were just talking about how the the pain and suffering that we go through sometimes is the exact thing that catapults us into higher levels of consciousness. Yes. Is that how you look at, at your sexual and physical abuse in your lifetime as it, as if it were something that was necessary for your spiritual development? Well, as much as I, you know, it shouldn't happen to me, it shouldn't happen to anybody who knows if I would have achieved what I achieved now and be on the path that I'm currently on all the things I've been able to experience and achieve if it wasn't for that. So uh, was it predestined? No, I don't believe in that shit. I, I don't believe that, you know, it was, it was, I was meant to be abused, but because I was abused, I, I also sort of joke about this for a minute for anybody who knows about Marvel or old school X stories a lot of these mutant abilities manifest under stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really believe that whatever was locked in my cells, these past lives, these energies, that they were released under stress, that it was awakened under stress, that the knowledge that was carried in my blood without going back into it, into you know, like hereditary blood magic, that those things that were there, it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're trying to destroy the spirit. You're trying to sh- destroy this body. We chose this vessel. We chose to come back again. We're here for a reason. And then it started unlocking because I wasn't meant to die. I was meant to live and thrive. I was meant to share, to grow. And that because that stress and that trauma, it allowed it to come out because maybe it wasn't going to come out in this life had it not happened. That's a really profound thing to say. And I think it's 
just means so much coming from someone who's had your experiences, because that's kind of a, a spot that gets hairy. I think when you oscillate between the reality of like social media, that's telling us like, these are the things to think. And these are the things that are going on. You get stuck in a narrative there. And then you oscillate to, well, wait, we're all connected and we chose this life and we chose these vessels. And so like, maybe there's a reason for that sexual abuse, right? Those two things, those two realities, two paradigms, they don't really go together. And so it gets confusing when like you have a meditative moment and then you have to go and like, I don't know, you're scrolling on Instagram or some shit. And it's, (laughs) it's like a schism, you know, it doesn't really, you get, it just gets confusing. It really does. Yeah. Like which thing is the right thing? Do we choose our lives? Do we, you know, you just said a minute ago, like, I don't believe in that shit. I don't believe that like there's predestined shit, but do you believe that we like choose these vessels? I believe that some people choose these vessels and then some people for what I was exposed to are put into these vessels for a reason. And I don't want to say it's predestined. Those who are put into the vessel that they know that what that's to be put into, they already know. So it's not like I'm predestined to maybe have this happen. So I don't call it predestined if they already know. Cause it's like, they chose it. I, this, that, that's when I say it is a choice. So when people say predestined and you're supposed to do this and you know, I, 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 this is part of your, your time. I, I don't believe that part. I, I, I've seen too much and experienced too much everywhere from the basic world energy to the high world of witchcraft and magic. I've seen too many things to let me go. Anybody's predestined, either you're destined or you make a choice. Like it, it, for me, it's one or the other, you know, for to the pre anything, it leaves room for a lot of scrutiny and a lot of failure. And it also puts the power in some other forces hands, so to speak. Yes. I see what you mean. Yeah. It's like, it could be destined, but it's like, because you chose it in a state of consciousness that you're not aware of at this time. Yes. Yeah. Which is a hard concept to chew on for like (laughs) the average human. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to ancient blood magic. What is that? I have not heard that term. And and maybe I do know what it is, but l- let me let me hear what, what she meant. To have the power of Heka. So uh, people talk about the Ka. People talk about like Chi and Ki. The Ka was the essence of the nature of the gods is, is where they got their power. So, the, you know, the Ka or the energy it, it is the nature of Heka. And, you know, so before Heka was uh, given a figure in, in Egypt as as the god of, of magic, Heka or the Ska, it is the power. It is the life force that makes gods gods. So without the Ka, the gods cease to be gods. Mm. So it, it, it is the deep energetic power that runs through them. So when I said about this ancient blood magic, I had to start researching it. What is ancient blood magic? And it is, it is that the energy or that magic that finds it that has its roots in the beginning of time. Mm. It is literally one foot in this life and, and one foot, I mean, you know, it, in a different dimension or in, or in a different life. It's like you're in this realm, you're out of this realm. It's also hereditary. That means, you know, it, it, but hereditary, not necessarily just in your genetics, but it's in your soul. 
It is, it has been ingrained into you. It is, it is royal right. It is trained right. It is covered right that any form of pure magic, it's already in my blood. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm. You know, and, and that's why I understand the teachings and I'm able to dive into the magic and the qigong and all the energy work because it's part of me. It's like that innate ability to have to be already be an adept and a prodigy a prodigy to it so it's the ancient blood magic it's all about hereditary and then ancient lives coming into this life Mm. i don't know why i want to ask you this right now but it just popped in my head so what do you think about vampires oh completely real and and how so like how, how in your experience movies in hollywood have a lot right and they also have a lot wrong yeah. It's a, it's a yes. There are some people who do drink blood, and that would be considered vampiric. But they are older; they can't change eye colors. They don't change in the bats. They don't change in the wolves. But they're influential, and they're fucking old. And also, back to ener- being an energetic vampire, where they are soul suckers. They will drain your life, and they will continue. This stay young, stay strong. And you ever, you know, people, I, I know everybody's met at least one. I'm not talking about just a symbolic, oh, you know, that guy's an energetic vamp. Somebody who is very powerful, who's well-spoken, who's charismatic. And then you look at how old they say they are, but their speech, the way they speak is older than their age. The way they move, the way they talk, their grace, their discipline. And, you know, they could be 60, 80, you know, 100 years old, but why don't they look a day over 50? Mm. And why do they move over so many years? The reason I asked about that is because this ancient blood magic reminds me of some theories about vampires connected to, like, the Nephilim and the Anunnaki and how, like you know, there's these lineages that are what you were basically saying, like soul hereditary, you know, hereditary. Yes. like it just keeps going and going from lifetime to lifetime. And I was just curious how, how you felt about that. And, and I guess that leads me to the next question, which is, do you feel that you are from here or you're from somewhere else? And, and do you think everybody's from somewhere else? I've, I've met people with this being their first life and that's why they struggle less than other people because this is the first experience. They don't have anything in their subconscious spiritual energy making them try to cope or comprehend this life. And I met people with a hundred lives. I met people with thousands of lives and it feel like the more lives we have, a lot of times those lives take them further back away from here. So while some people are from here, there are plenty of people not from here now back to the Anunnaki, back to um, you know, like more more ancient blood and those things that people want to call you know myths or story. Before I ever knew what, what Nibiru was, I had this vision of me on the other planet I, I, around people, you know, literally drinking gold, injecting gold into their veins, you know, big, strong, and powerful, manipulating things that look like modern pyramids twisting and turning the cosmos 
And then, you know, I, I'm sitting there looking at myself. I had glittering. I had glows on me. And then, I, you know, and they turn and looked at me and go, you know, like, welcome home. And the planet was fucking blue. Mm. And then years later, I come across some articles on Anunnaki. I start researching it. And then, I'm, you know, I'm going through this ancient blood magic in this study. And then I find out Nebrew is a blue planet. And everything I had studied up to the point lined up with all my visions. I'm just marinating in that for a second. Before we move on to Brazilian snuff, I want to ask back to when we were talking about that profound mushroom experience that you had. Or was it mushrooms or ayahuasca? Yes. No, it, it, it was mushrooms. Oh, right. Six grams. Six grams. Of mushrooms. Yes. Yes. So, well, you did it so many times. I can't remember which one. Yeah. <laughs> So you're in that bed and you have that experience. And, and I guess just based on that experience, what is your advice for people? When you see all that, how do people navigate this world better? Be aware. Like, don't be judgmental, but don't be so fucking kind. Don't, don't open the door to everybody. Better research, uh, more discernment. Take the time. To know because there's plenty of people are going to say, Oh my God, I feel so connected to you. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fucking hippie at heart, okay? And <laughs> in, in this modern life, I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of these people within uh, certain communities. And one of the, my biggest things that I do not like hearing, it just drives me fucking crazy, especially like if, if y'all try to connect to one of my ladies, fuck off. I, 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 I don't want to hear, we're so connected. Oh, if, if I don't remember, until I remember, remember too, and until there's a mutual exchange of agreed energy, be careful. Just, and that's my biggest thing. Be careful who you talk to. Watch what you read. Listen. And, and if you have to question somebody, question something, and they get mad for questioning, you, know, you might want to consider if you really want them in your field. I don't care if it's politics. I don't care if it's religion. I'm not telling anybody what to choose to do, just to be aware of your interactions and then really go with your gut. And people say, no, my heart tells me, fuck your heart. Go with your gut. Because the heart, that, that what we perceive as the heart, the heart can lie. The heart wants to be open. The heart wants to be loving. It wants to have compassion. I'm not saying dismiss that, but if we don't go with our gut, that real deep feeling within us, we know. And that's where a lot of the guilt and shame that people feel is that because they knew and they didn't do anything differently and when they have their awakening and then when they finally just go, go boom, oh my God, what's happening? That's why they have such a hard time processing because for so many years, they didn't listen to their gut. So it's interesting. Your point is to really tell people to protect themselves energetically, like more oh, so than, yeah. Like instead of you going the like full on compassion route, you were like, well, yes, compassion's good, but like fucking protect your energy because there's, yeah. And, and are you focusing on that mostly just because of sort of the shit show that we're in or just in general, like everybody it, it, should always do that in general, especially after everything that, that I was shown, and everything I've experienced, you know, from that point until now, is I know, like, protect your field. I'm not Christian believer in any form, but if I'm going to use the, the, the teaching or the ideal, if you want to be symbolic about the devil, 
the devil give you a thousand truths just to get you one lie. Or people mm-hmm. want to use the term, one of the greatest tricks the devil ever did is to make you believe he doesn't exist. Let's say if any of that was true, I'm not going to say it's not right now. If any of that was true, how many times do people come in shining light? Do we think we're so great? They're so spiritual. They're there for our family. They're there for us. And we are so blinded by their light. Because remember, light's so good, the light will still blind you. And you let them in. And at that one moment where you think everything's so shining, it's an illuminated bonfire, the asteroids, the light of the whole universe is upon us, the halo's on them. If they turn the light switch off and you don't know what to do, you can't navigate them anymore. And they got you because you were blinded by their light. Mm. That sounds like a narcissist right there. <laughs> <laughs> I dated one of those. That, that's, that sounds exactly like what they do. It's a good point though. And, and protection is a, is a message that I keep getting lately. And I think I'm a very sensitive person and empathic person. And I, I accidentally like let in too much sometimes. And I, th- I think it's funny that every time I keep asking people advice, it's the same message over and over again. So protection is shielding. It, it doesn't mean anything bad. It doesn't mean, you no, know, we put all these walls up. We don't let anybody in, but we're cautious. We're just very aware. It's yeah. like, you know what? If I'm going to shake somebody's hand and then I, if I'm not sure about them yet, it's like putting a cloak over your hand, putting oil over your hand. So if you need to, your hand's protected or you can pull away from that handshake before their grip's too tight. Just the caution, the protection, and then being aware that we all judge, but it doesn't mean we need to condemn, but we have to judge Honestly, judges love, and people's like, wait a minute, you just said not, no, I didn't say not to love. Judging with love means judging for yourself that that person is not a fit for you, your family. Mm. That person's not a fit for your business. They might be a great person, but their ideals and your ideals don't work together, or there's something that just doesn't feel right. If it doesn't feel right, it's okay. And this is for ladies, especially right now. I'm going to go off subject for a second if it's okay with you. Yeah. Women, ladies, it's okay to say no. Say no constantly. You know, if a man thinks you're a bitch, fuck them. It's okay to say no. And yes, it applies to men and kids too. But especially for women, I watched so many women sucked in and hurt by other women, hurt by other, you know, hurt by men, especially for not saying no. And that's my biggest thing. Say no. It's okay for me to say no, for you to say no. Yeah. It's a full sentence. All right, so let's go back to Brazilian snuff. What you still use this currently? I have oh, never yes. heard of it. What is it? Okay, it's pronounced rape or hape, depending on how people want to say it. So it's ground up tobacco made into really, really fine powder mixed with different ashes and other plants that gets packed into a pipe known um, as a tipe. And then with the tipe, you'll know, put one end of somebody's nose, there's a process to do it. It gets blown into the nose and you have to breathe a little bit, hold your breath. It gets blown inside the nose. It's used to facilitate trauma to, um, and like to help the release of the trauma, release the energies. Um, the hape re- releases what they call uh, the panema. The panema is the negative energy. So this ancient tobacco, and, and it's clean tobacco, it's tobacco not touched by chemicals. And that's why it has to come out of Brazil or Peru. The nicotina, 
uh, you know, there's different uh, strengths of this tobacco. You have uh, mild, medium, or stronger strengths. You have different effects from it, but it'll detoxify you. It uses to uh, decalcify the pineal gland, which, you know, people believe gives access to our third eye and to higher consciousness. You might sweat. Sometimes people purge. Occasionally, I still do. You might puke. The nicotine is also um, a, a stimulant. You might have to go to the bathroom and, and go poop. So depending, <laughs> I, so depending on what you what the experience is, it is a cleanser. It is a tool for meditation. So a lot, a lot of times, hop is also used in conjunction with combo. If you've ever been familiar with combo, which is um, frog medicine, and it's used in conjunction with ayahuasca. So a person struggling for a purge. And then, um, you know, the ayahuasca, you know, and they're struggling, they're resisting it. The hot bag can be blown into the nose and also used to help break down the resistance so they can get the purge that they need. And then the hot bag will start to ground down the ayahuasca a little bit. So the ayahuasca is really intense. The hot bag can facilitate the work while tempering it down so the body's less resistance. If a person goes through fog medicine, which is um, you get little burns in your arm arm for the combo and this uh, frog venom gets placed onto the burns and then you swell up a little bit you sort of look like a fucking frog and then you also puke for quite a while oh fun <laughs> i love these medicines and like people hear the, the puke <laughs> of the purge is that <laughs> is that they're like oh wow because it's it's what's within us and that's the biggest thing it's not just that we're puking it's what's within us that needs to be let out what's within us do we need to remove? And the hoppe will also do a lot of that on its own. So if I do a hoppe ceremony, I'll have, whether it's three people or it's 10 people, at least five or six are going to puke. Good to know. So you hold it, you know, for a little bit, it goes into the membranes. And then when, when the tobacco hits with all the other plant medicines in there, like the little species, you also get to a place of after holding those for a little bit, you know, even after you blow your nose, because you do blow your nose, you don't swallow it. It's not like cocaine. It's not illegal. You don't sniff it. You sort of just hold it up there. And after a few minutes, you blow it out of your nose. It puts you in a state of meditation. So even after you puke, if you need to, or you purge, or you're sweating, you're detoxifying, you get to a place with the hoppe where you're just breathing, where you're able to go through your thoughts or your lack of thoughts now, shuts the mental chatter off. You find yourself very grounded as if you don't want to move, but your body's also very floaty. And the cool part is one dose only lasts 15 to 20 minutes. So unless you want to do a second round or third round or treat it like an ayahuasca, where you have hop in a few times within a couple hours, after 15, 20 minutes, you might be a little bit nauseous still, might be toned down, but after a little bit, you're ready to go and your day's better. You sleep better. You function better. You think clearer because the hop eight grounded you and helped remove anything from the day or the previous day. So uh, this pedema or this negative energy is removed from you. Your, your feels now stronger. Your third eyes opened up. You're clear and you're ready to take on anything. And anything that needed to be removed is gone. So the hoppe is one of the most beautiful medicines I've used. And I can say up to date, I probably use that. And then no shit, you're just going to mind fuck you. I've easily used that 10,000 times. 10,000 times? There is no structure of, of limitations 
of, of the hot bay. Some people like, man, like you and some of your guys, you guys use it a lot. And then I'm like, you know what? I, I, but I've been commissioned to use it. I've been commissioned to serve it. And with that commission, none of my teachers, none of my pages, none of the tribal members are against. And people like, if you think I use it a lot, you should see little seven-year-olds in Brazil using it. I, and my, my, they start serving it young. And one of my trips, I watched a man take hopping to see. I might use it five to 10 times a day, depending on the day. It's, it, it's a, give, a give or take on it. I watch this man use it 22 times in four hours. What? Because it's not, it doesn't have to be a big dose. Sometimes it's a pea size. Sometimes it's a ceremonial size in both nostrils. So depending on how much you're using it, it also depends on your intent. Do you want just a little bit of clearing? A little pea size, and we call it crepe. The crepe is, is then like, you serve it to yourself. So you just pack it in, pack it in. It's only a little bit, and you're good to keep on walking and go. So when people think size doses or how much is being used, the abuse only comes if a person's intent isn't pure. If they're using high doses constantly and they just want to get fucked up, then you're using the medicine wrong. Mm. But if you're in deep meditation, and if you're filling it, and if you have a reason to be clear, it can facilitate the most beautiful healing work in conjunction with breath work and meditation. My biggest issue with plant medicine is I don't like barfing. (laughs) I, I really don't enjoy it, but I just talked to this other dude on the podcast. who's done it a bunch as well. Ayahuasca, especially. And he's just like, well, you got to get over the puking thing, man. Like you just got to get over it. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm wondering if like, I might be one of those people who's more resistant because I don't like it so much, you know? Have you ever had the ayahuasca? No. Okay. And and there was, I was asking, because if you did, you would have probably already been introduced to the hape. I've done shrooms, but not ayahuasca. And I did not enjoy shrooms. (laughs) Yeah. I've only done it twice though. And both times I just, I did not enjoy the experience, but I, I think that, you know, you're at different levels of development spiritually and what you can handle. And, and I was going to do ayahuasca, but I, I had a shaman who told me not to, she was like, you're not ready for that shit. So I was like, all right, now I'm going to give you the reverse. Oh, and this is from all, <laughs> all my time in shamanic work and being in the world of plant medicine and, and facilitating healing work. Nobody's never not ready. Readiness for anything is a choice. The second a person is willing to let go, they're willing to change, they're willing to move on because change is constant. Either we're evolving or dissolving. So we're already ready for whatever it is. We just have to have the willingness to do. So if, if we are willing to go, hey, this is affecting me, this is where I've been hurt. This is where I need to grow. This is where my life's heading. And I want clarity. I need structure. I need to ground myself and get back to me again. Okay. Go have an ayahuasca. Okay. Go do some breath work. Okay. Come do this. But it's like, no matter what path you choose, you're ready for that path. But it's not for me or anybody else tell you, don't do it. I would recommend for anybody, have you tried... Breath work first. Have you tried? And then this go back to my bias. Hoppe first. You know there are different, lesser uh, medicines that are just as powerful, but they're they're tense different. They don't last as long. 
So I tried breath work. Oh my God, I don't need that medicine. I had all these releases from breath work. Or the breath work helped, but I feel stuck. So now I give a little bit of the hop and they have a breakthrough. So depending on where we're at in not just spiritual development, but I want to say where we're at with healing, that mm-hmm. place of releasing, that's also going to be the next step of how, how deep do I need to go? Do I really need to go all the way up here in the fucking psychosis and some psychoactive substance to get what I need to get? If you're not that deeply rooted and the pain is depending on where your perception of the pain is, if the trauma is not that deep, there's other, there's other methods. And if the trauma is deep or if the karma is deep, then yes, it might take something a little bit stronger to take you there. But this is just our awareness to go, I actually don't need to go that far. Maybe I like to try hoppe. Maybe I want to try some breath work. Maybe I wouldn't want to try this and just getting up and going and doing it finding a facilitator, finding the medicine and going with it because we're already ready. So that's my biggest, and, and that thing I want all the listeners to hear, no matter what we choose or we say we're not choosing because we're not ready, readiness is the choice. Yeah, brings it back to what you were saying before about like the destined or a choice. It's you, you, you're just sort of the choose your own adventure all the time. I don't know. I'm interested in the hoppe. I know that the the guy that I just interviewed recently, he was talking about ayahuasca and he does a lot of breath work as well. And he was, he said that most people who do his breath work events afterward, if they've done something like ayahuasca, they'll say that felt just like ayahuasca, uh-huh. which is really interesting. So I, I love that you're also saying you're echoing that and that people don't necessarily have to go if that feels uncomfortable for them. They don't have to go and and purge their brains out 405 times. <laughs> if they want to, they absolutely can, or it can be 10 times or two times or one time, but there's other options. There's other routes, like yes. said, which is, which is great. And it's nice to know that there's something that lasts 15 to 20 minutes instead of like eight hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how long does ayahuasca usually last if you take like two to three cups? The ayahuasca can last anywhere between six hours to 12 hours, depending on the strength, depending on the dose. Yeah. So, that's, so that's why you start sort of early and then you, and then you work your way up to later on in the day is that am I, um, it goes, you know, you could be three in the morning, four in the morning, ending at seven in the morning, depending on when you started. Dang. That's a commitment. John gives you so much to marinate in. Like I said, we could do just one episode about plant medicine, probably more than one episode. I cannot even imagine taking shrooms over 500 times. Y'all know if you listen to the mushroom episode, Magic Mushrooms with Mom, you know how I feel about them. And what I'm thinking is 500 times is too many goddamn times. All right. That's just crazy. That is crazy. I'm serious though. Phew. I don't know if that's good for your brain, but he seems fine. In fact, I am thoroughly impressed with John Goff. What an amazingly strong human being to be put through so much, to experience so much pain and suffering and to alchemize that essentially and help others in the way that he does. It's really a beautiful thing. And I think I'll probably be talking to John again 
maybe we'll get into more of some of the nitty gritty details of his woo experiences. So stay tuned. You can check out everything John is up to on his website, godswhospeak.com, and that'll be in the show notes for this episode. You can get a hybrid energy treatment, a distance energy session, or a kundalini awakening, astral realm work, divine alignment package. And you can contact him directly at godswhospeak at gmail.com. I turned off the recording of this part in our interview, but for a minute, John and I, through the Zoom portal, so to speak, we had an energy exchange and it was really powerful. He was able to affect the energy in my right palm from where he is in Utah to where I am in Kentucky. He's definitely got some powerful hands if I can feel it all the way across many states. Humans, listen here. Take good, good care of yourselves. Hug your friends. Tell them you love them. That's your woo homework this week. Hold the hug for 20 seconds. You know, let that oxytocin build in both of you. Share an energetic space, even if it's just a long high five. We need to touch each other, not in a creepy way, but we do. We need to exchange energy that way in a positive way with people who make us feel safe and loved and seen. It's important because what that does is it builds and creates more energy in the space that we're occupying, wherever we are. And that energy, it has a power to it. And it's the stuff that's in that energy that's like in the cloud, the bubble that we create that is so old and is so sacred, a tiny piece of this huge thing, which is the actual healing of this species and of this planet. And that is a joy in knowing that you are me and I am you and we are one. I love you. I think you're an amazing human being. Whatever you got going on that you don't believe you can do, I believe you can do it. All right. Bye. Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 